that most people live in a state of 10 to 30% freedom, uh, what Henry Thoreau called lives of quiet desperation, uh, where people are just simply trying to keep out of trouble, trying to keep out of debt, trying to just not get fired, trying to do whatever is necessary not to rock the boat, trying not to have another argument with the spouse. Uh, here we go back in bold this is bold perceptions we got a very reoccurring guest my man living for a living joey bradley i'm back in i think it's your time zone or hour so off i'm in poland i'm in the middle of nowhere like on the belarusian border i mean we landed in uh, warsaw and we drove for two hours and there was nothing and then we go to this city it's like three hundred thousand people but so far, it's cozy. Bilestock? You heard yeah, of Bilestock? Uh, yeah, actually, the I'm going to, as a fellow or former Polish uh, resident, that L has a little line in it. So that yeah. L with a line is a W. So it's Bialystok. Bialystok. And does it mean like white? White? And then stock is like uh, the animal or something? Uh, maybe. I. Uh, yeah, Biała. Yeah, Biała. Yeah, because I used to go to this bar called Biawe Vino, white wine. So, yeah, it does. Yeah. And probably judging by the residents around there, that's a good name for it, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's like 98, 99% white. I heard um, there was like a LGBTQT thing here, and they, okay. the people got in a huge fight. And I think it's, it's pretty still traditional, you know what I mean? Like back in the old days. So it's interesting, different... Uh, in Bologna that I was living in because they are very, very um, to the left. I mean, they were known okay. for communism. Um, it was like the Italian city where communism thrived. And so it's very open and including and whatnot, but it's, it's cool to get a, a different taste. So far, I really like it. It's, it's cozy, um, cheap, obviously. And, you know, I love Slavic girls. So it's a good trifecta. No, for sure, man. Poland's fun. I really like Poland, even though... And, you know, I know quite a few imports that are black dudes that have stayed in Poland even after living there. And so, you know, it, it's obviously that was like the first place because I lived in Portugal first, then Poland is where I played. And I remember after like a year of being in Poland, going back to Portugal and being like, oh, there's some diversity in, in Portugal. We, we didn't have this diversity in Poland, but. I've, you know, there's, there's horror stories everywhere and racism everywhere. And, uh, but I don't know. I I've enjoyed my time in Poland. Joey, how about my new setup? You never see me this professional. Look at my face. It's yep. super bright. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. This is, do you have a ring light going too? <laughs> I think it's just this Logitech camera. There's no ring light. Dude. It's just. I, I, that's actually might be my next step is I might have to get the ring light. Although I'll have some a lot of daylight for the summer in Finland. But right now, if I record after like 3 p.m., I got the shitty glare of my overhead lamp that's just beaming down on me like a interrogation room. <laughs> yeah, it gets dark here on like 4.32. I, it reminds me of growing up in Minnesota. I dislike that a lot. I need the, the sun. I need water. I need... Uh, but I got the vitamin D. You know, you just got to supplement with all that crap and you can totally. still feel decent. Minnesota. But, Minnesota. Well, you were in North Dakota, so you know a little yeah. bit about that lifestyle oh, yeah. up there. Go out in the boat, you know. <laughs> but uh, a point on this little equipment stuff. I mean, I've almost been doing this for coming up on three years, I think, in May. And all I've used is the, the camera from a laptop. No yeah. mic. I finally got a mic. And the point is, dude, just start. Not even just with podcasting, but anything. Everyone thinks you need every equipment and everything in the world, but... No, that's an excuse for you to just not make things happen. No, real shit, man. That's how I started doing the... Bro, I have a good starting story. Like, I started doing my vlog stuff with just, like, the GoPro 4, where, you know, I'm talking to it. It's shaky cam. It's terrible audio. And just edited it together. Because the first, like, I don't know, the first, like, 20 to 50 things that you do are going to suck normally. So you need to just do them. It doesn't even really matter how you do them. 
or with what. And then when the when I started the pod, I didn't have a video camera. I was mainly doing like in-person ones, but I had this point and shoot camera that I'd bought for vlogging. Shit, this little Canon G7X right here. It could only record in 15 or 17 minute intervals. So I would literally like be in the middle of the podcast. I could see the timer on the screen. And if I asked a question right around the 15 minute mark, I'd ask the finish the question and go, hold on, hold on, hold on, get up, stop recording, hit record again, and then start it over again. And then I ended up fucking up on like the third one doing that. And my buddy was like, bro, I have a video camera that uh, he coached high school basketball. He's like, the school got for me. I'm not going to use, or the parents got for me. I'm not going to use, you want it? I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And so then I ended up getting like a thousand dollar camcorder for free. And, but it was like, it, it started with just like, it was a funny looking setup having this on a tripod in front of us doing podcasting, you know, it like was, it, it looked like a parody account. Yeah. Obviously this is for anything, um, like football as a quarterback, uh, doing new drills, like just freaking do it. You're going to look really stupid at the start and it's going to hurt your ego, but get over it. Like it just is what it is. Like my first podcast, I mean, just clown show, but it's, it's cool. I like to keep it all up there to like look back and then motivate people um, who want to start. Cause I always do this for like YouTubers I go on and I go to like the, their oldest videos and it's just crazy. Like the evolution, like how it goes and how much you get better by just doing shit. No, for sure, man. It, it is why it's fun for me to go back and look at those. Actually, I started vlogging in Poland. Now that I think I was, uh, I was like eight hours West of you up in Gdynia, but it's fun to go. And it's good memories, even though it's like shitty quality and not the best editing, but it's still real shit that like, I mean, it's fun for me to look back on three, four years ago. I can't imagine 20 years from now. And, but now the, the, kids especially i noticed like on the football note is when people are starting to do something and it can be like kids when i'm coaching youth out here or even just guys our age that are like oh i don't want to do that drill because like i'm uncomfortable doing it or i'm not very good doing it and it's like bitch that's how you get better at it. like uncomfort you know the cliche things like if you're uncomfortable it means you're growing but it's totally true and people just but we uh, going on a rant. We we see the Instagram world of the finished product. You see LeBron holding up the championship like this, but you don't see LeBron just grinding in the gym. And maybe LeBron's a bad example because the dude's been a freak since he was probably coming out of the womb. But most everyone else has had a real struggle story to get to where they're at. And you don't ever see that. Yeah, it's the big separator, their initial hurdle. If you can't take that ego hit, you can't take looking stupid, then you're not going to be, what is that one quote? Like the student to the, the master. The master was always like, uh, he, he was a reason, he was a student who failed a thousand times, whatever. But another point mm -hmm. to this, going off this topic, is uh, traveling. During this whole thing that's been going on, everyone's like, oh my God, like, I'm just going to sit inside. Like, I can't do it. Like, there's, there's, I have to have this, I have to have that. I've been traveling, I, sh I probably shouldn't say this, probably a month after it first hit Italy, and then I snuck around some loopholes. I've been traveling since, and I don't have anything. You know, obviously, you have to get a test or whatnot, but um, this happened uh, when I came uh, just recently. I landed in, in France, and I was telling you this. There's two lines when you get into France. Well, first of all, when I was in uh, New York to, to do the overseas flights, um, they're like, Hey, where's your, your card? I said, I don't have it. They're like, well, you can't fly. I'm like, Oh yes, I can. I have my test right here and I have a compelling reason. And like, I listed like everything that I needed to do to get into Poland. They're like, um, let me check with my boss. She goes, checks with her boss. She's like, Oh, okay. You're fine. And here's an extra document to have when you land in uh, France. It's like, what? But okay. So then I land in France and there's two lines. There's one with the V and there's one without the V and it's hilarious, bro. It was like jam packed, the one with the V. And there was like two or three people that went in the other line and the same thing happened. They're like, what are you doing? You can't be here. Like, cause France is freaking crazy with this stuff. And uh, I'm like, yes, I can. Here's my compelling reason. Here's this, here's the rules, show them everything. They're like, oh, okay, boom. 
like but th this is a point to everyone that thinks like oh no like the rules are this and that like if you just do things like for the most part you can do whatever the hell you want totally no and and there's such a crazy amount of fear porn on so many different levels and whether it be me medical but then also just from the travel side to get you stagnant to get you to stay in your bubble and because then once you're in your bubble you're not learning you're not talking to anybody new you're just doing the same netflix stuff you're you know it just essentially like stagnation i think breeds ignorance in a way and well easier to control too yeah totally totally and and i mean it's the whole like uh you know 1984 comparison where everyone stays in their country and city and you can't go outside and then it makes being it makes the foreigners and the other country to be the enemy much more easy because you think of them as less human. And I'm not saying we're at that level at all right now. But when travel started to get restricted, I was like, we are Damn. close with the people that don't have uh, the the thing. They're, they're yeah, although I, I think people. I I got more hope than ever that like it's about to flip around at least in some places. But that's how anything has ever been ever in like like. You know, in the Nordics right now, I think by March in Finland, every restriction, every mandate will be gone. I think Denmark, Sweden, Norway, same kind of thing. And it's, it won't be like that everywhere, but there's always normally, you know, if something really fucked up's going on in the world, it's only happening in one place. You know, it's, it becomes selective. And then 50 years later, we look back on history, like, damn, how did that happen there? And, and it just goes like that. But dude, on to your point, I've traveled. I've in the last two years, I drove, well, first I drove from Northeastern Finland to Southwestern Portugal, like 5,500 kilometers, I don't know, 3000 miles or something. And then I've also then lived in Spain, Czech Republic and Finland in the last two years. So in my last seven years, I've probably moved around and traveled the most in a time that we quote unquote, shouldn't be traveling at all. Yeah, it's, uh, I hope that thing, the dominoes continue to fall. Like we, Denmark, I think the rules, um, got canceled like on February 1st or whatever. I know England's doing something, but, uh, yeah. I, I hope, uh, it happens. Cause then I'll look back and be like, okay, you know, I'm glad I, I did what I did. And, I, the more I did get it, the more I got into that uh, mindset of, uh, was it the sunk cost fallacy? Like I was talking to my buddy who's in the whole uh, medical stuff. I'm like, damn, am I just like, the more I hold out, the more I'm getting in my bubble that I will for sure never get it and whatnot. But yeah, if this like all your, happens, your pot, your pot committed at this point. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, I've already gotten this far. So, I mean, I, I got to keep holding out. You know what I mean? But if this, uh, if this happens, I'm going to look back and be like, damn, I was one of the people that, you know, stuck to my guns and didn't just, you know, bend over and say, yes, daddy, government, like, take me. So I'm kind of happy. Life is good. You know, Poland, there's there's no rules, really. No one really, people leave you alone, especially out here, which is good. Like being in the supermarket without a mask for their day felt amazing. And yeah, I think life is coming back to normal. But for, like I said, the last two years, my life has been normal. I mean, it's been better, actually. Like, uh, in Italy, when it first happened, dude, I was in Italy with no tourists. It was the coolest thing in the world, seeing, like, Rome and the Spanish steps, nobody there, the mafia coast. Um, so I think if uh, if you just kind of do your own thing and, and don't follow the crowd, I think you get the benefits, obviously. Yeah, and to quote one of your favorite books, I never ended up finishing it, but I, I got what I needed to get out of it. It's still in the van in Portugal that got abandoned on the street. But the how I found freedom in an unfree world, he says something along the lines of uh, like, don't try and change the rules because it's going to be way too difficult of a task. But whatever system you're in, no matter how oppressive, no matter what it is, you learn the rules and then you figure out like loopholes or ways to get around it. He mainly talks about it like from a tax perspective. But um, in this travel way, like you said, I got this paper that shows this. I have this. I have the test. Like, yeah, there's all these different ways to do it, but there's a way to do it is the key thing. And, bro, same – actually, now that I think about it, same shit happened when I flew from Lisbon back to Finland on New Year's. 
was like they just make all the rules so vague and so the they the do that so you don't know what they do so you just sit in your room like the person at the check-in at new york she had no idea what i was talking about she had to go ask her boss so the people that are supposed to be controlling this they have no idea either it's not no no it, they're just i mean and I get like and sympathize with a lot of people that are just kind of doing their job, quote unquote, but it, it gets, I always then wonder like, okay, well, at what point do you think a little bit one step higher than just doing your job? And, but it was same, the Finnair website said you needed to be vaccinated. You need to have this or or have COVID before you had to uh have one shot a booster like list all these things and then at the very very end it says or a test that says you're negative and at the very end it says but if you don't have any of that you can just get tested within 24 hours of arrival and it was and so i was like on the i was on the message with like them talking about baggage stuff and you know they asked oh, can i help you with anything else today i go yeah actually i'm reading your terms and services right now um do I need a test before I go? And they're like, well, they like didn't want to admit it, but a- according to that, no, you don't. And I was like, all right. Do you know then why I though? Do you know why test. though? It's crazy because in the future, they're going to be like, hey, we we didn't, this wasn't mandatory. If you read the rules, you didn't need to get this. They're all exactly. clear shot of any lawsuits that happen. I mean, it's nuts. If you actually look True. into this, it's bananas, but it's totally to be like, what do you mean? This was your own free choice. You're the one that decided to do this. Like you yeah, could not. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Fifty years when it's written in the history books, it'll say, "Well, everyone chose to do this. It wasn't. No one forced them." And it's like, well, technically, you're right. Technically, that is true. <laughs> hey, a point I want to make about the how I found freedom thing is, um, he did say that like there's rules and you got to figure out, you know, to go around them. And there's always ways. But he also said. Look, if you think um, doing something illegal is worth it to you, you just got to be able to pay the price. So if you get caught, you're going to jail. And if that's worth it to you, then go for it. But the big point was, okay, if you're not willing to do that, then you can't bitch. And you need to go around the rules and you need to figure stuff out. Like if you hate taxes so much, well, you got to do as much as you possibly can to, um, to limit that, which I'm doing. But if you really hate taxes and you think that this is theft against the government, then don't pay them. But if you yeah. get caught, then that's on you. But he's basically just putting your life into your own hands and then not complaining about uh, things that are like basically out of your control. And if they are, then pay the price, baby. If you want to tax evade, then you know you'll be like Al Capone. But there's some trippy stuff, dude. You know, um, uh, what's his name? He's a famous like economic guy. He hates Bitcoin and whatnot. But um, he, I think he predicted one of the crashes and his father was a famous guy that like preached about, look, you actually don't have to pay taxes. Like, OK, I'm not a legal person. Don't take my advice. whatnot. Look into this guy. Irv, his name's Irv. I, I got to put this in the notes. And um, he uh, did it for like 15 years. And the IRS was like, oh, I mean, you did like your system and it works. But then he started preaching it. To like to the world and saying, look, do what I do. They can't do nothing about it. And then they just whoosh, attacked them because like uh, the, the knowledge, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, and then that's another little point in the how I how I found freedom is he's like, don't don't do things in big groups like that, because then that's how you get caught. He's like, if you are going to evade taxes, if you're just a solo person and I'm not suggesting evading taxes, but if you're going to do something illegal like that, don't get a ton of people involved because then the bigger the crowd, like the more chance of getting caught. Uh, Peter Schiff, Irv Schiff. Peter Schiff. Ah, okay. Yeah. His father is the famous guy that was, was doing all that stuff. And it, his story, if you look into it, it's, it's trippy. Cause like there's certain like right. phrases in uh, the tax code. Uh, it, it is wicked dude. And they always say, um, no, no taxation without representation and whatnot and how there was no income tax, federal income tax to like the early 1900s to pay for the wars. Like right. the tax thing is very trippy because America was founded on no taxes. Right. That's why we got rid of um, England and the tea stuff. And and yeah, we uh, were, especially we were not pissed. getting shit for your taxes. We were pissed over like a three percent tax or something, you know, or like, you know, I don't know the history like that, but it, it's crazy. And then the 
the income tax was supposedly supposed to only be temporary, you know, like you said, to fund the war. And then it's just the, it's the, the conspiracy is once you give away freedoms and once you give away things like you don't ever just like comply into getting them back, you know? And so you could argue that the income tax is an example of that. All right, let's move on to this because I did this real recently and then um, I'll read the quote after. If you guys want to see sweet reels like this, just go to Bull Perceptions on Instagram. We post these on a consistent basis. They should inspire you. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I think we've hit on it before, but I'm going to ask you some stuff. Yeah, it would be hard for you to read it then, and we do it like that, so you have to rewind or watch it again or pause it or whatnot. But I was going to say, I'm like sitting here <laughs> trying to read. It's from uh, Vagabonding. He quotes this dude, Vagabonding, the long-term art of uh, uh, world travel by Ralph Potts. Amazing book, not just for traveling, but for like life in his mindset. I recommend everyone read it. It's one of Tim Ferriss's favorite books. Okay, mm-hmm. here's the quote. A lot of us first aspire to far-ranging travel and exotic adventure early in our teens. These ambitions are, in fact, adolescent in nature, which I find an inspiring idea. Thus, when we allow ourselves to imagine as we once did, we know with a sudden jarring clarity that if we don't go right now, we're never going to do it. And we'll be haunted by our unrealized dreams and know that we have sinned against ourselves gravely. And... um, I want to ask you this because mm. uh, you're older. Shit, you're like 31, right? And a lot of people yeah, probably ch- tell chill, you. Chill, homie, chill. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people have told you like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I mean, shouldn't you grow up now? But, you know, obviously like, sure. this quote is saying is people have these ideas in their head when they're young. Like, I want to be a football player. You know, I want to travel the world. You know, I want to do what I want. And then they get in the autopilot mode, the nine to five, the mortgage, the, the family and whatnot. And our lifestyle obviously is the complete opposite. But with that, you know, comes these questions like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, why have you have a family and you're making this much money a month? And now you're living in this country. Like, are you crazy? So I want to hear your thoughts on that quote and what I just told you. Dude, man, I'm so glad you asked that question because I've. I've thought about this in many ways lately and part of because I'm getting older. Um, But to start like the whole idea behind my brand, the podcast, everything living for a living was literally the reason because of getting that question, being back home in an off season, out to drink with friends, whatever. And everyone like, you know, right when you first graduate those first couple of years, guys, and anybody loves to ask like, So what do you do for a living, you know? And it's always kind of coming from a person that doesn't really know you. Almost, I always took it a little condescendingly, someone that really just wanted to tell you how they made 100K a year. And I got kind of tired of the same, like, well, I play American football in Europe. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Can you make money? You know, like, and then people kind of looking down and some people looking up thinking, wow, that's fucking cool. You're following your dreams and all that stuff. Um, So anyway... I got asked that by a dude I really didn't like one night and I just had enough of it. And so I just responded to him. I was like, bro, I'm living for a living. What are you doing? And the whole, the little like circle that was in on the conversation was just like, huh? And I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, I was probably drunk when I said it and I was like, I'm on to something though. Like that, that was something that stuck and like hit home to everybody. Um, but to that note of, like you said, being older, I thought about it today was, or this week saying, really, if you want to travel, like, you know, it's, I've, I, you hear other people say, oh, in your twenties, like go out and travel and do all that stuff because the older you get, the less you want to do it. And as a guy that's now 31 and still young and still wants to travel, but bro, I don't want to do the like, like grimy travel just to get by, you know, 
five guys sleeping in one room shit that I would have when I was like 20 to 25. And so I was thinking back, you know, damn, I wish I would have done, I, I was playing college football from 20 to 25 because of life, but I wish I would have done more of that kind of grimy shit, even though I guess you could say I just lived in a van for three months. So that's pretty grimy too. Um, but the older that you get, and I'm just starting to feel it now, the less you want to like really experience, the more you want to be comfortable, I've noticed. And so I, to anybody that's like 20 to 25 out there, I'm, I'm no person to give advice, but at the same time, I would give the advice of like, you got to just go do it. And whether it's starting a podcast, whether it's traveling, whether it's starting a business, whether it's asking the girl out, whatever the fuck it is, like you got to do it because you're going to get to 31 now and be like, shit, I wish I would have gone. I don't, I don't look back and have too many things of like, shit, I should have done that. Cause I've, I've done most of the things that popped into my mind, whether they were right or wrong, but I, I can even just, I can, I have the perspective now that shit, I, I maybe should have done more. I, I could, uh, you know, whatever. So th that's probably my thoughts on it. No, hundred percent. It's like, we are still living like kids as in we have that, that feeling, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're enjoying life. We're, we're going out, we're traveling, we're playing the game. We love still. Um, it's like, we're still living like kids and that keeps you young and that keeps you alive. Like I know when I go back to the States and I'm sitting there and, and going through a normal day, it's like time goes by so fast. I don't feel too fulfilled. Um, and I couldn't imagine working my ass off and okay, once a year going to Cancun in an all-inclusive resort for a week. And then when I get to 50 or 60, oh, I can finally do a Norwegian cruise and, and be shuttled around by these people and do these little um, – bubble tour guides you don't get to experience any of the culture you get dropped off in, in uh you know oslo for 30 minutes and you got to get back on or even like italy bro yeah like like walking around rome when i'm 60 that sounds miserable like and then like you said when you're that old you don't want to stay in no hostel and staying in a hostel is where i've had the craziest experiences it's how i've gotten to see so many different cities because it's so cheap and um I just like that quote a lot because to me, it's like about staying young and not growing up. Because I think when you're young, you have like the world is so cool and there's so many things to do. And when you get old, you get bitter and you get in this rut and, and you become such a realist and you don't have any of that like dream or that that uh, adventure spirit as you did when a kid. And that's what I really take from that quote is like people can say what the hell they want, but bro, no one can say we haven't lived life. Like we were really, you know, doing what we love and, and having this, this adventure. Yeah, no, it's the thing on your point is once you get older and then you are doing the Norwegian cruises, arguably that's what you want to do though. You only want that hour or two in the city to go there, see, you know, just taste it, just a, you know, one little sip of it rather than when you're younger, you can then, you have the energy, you have the, the mm, adventurousness. I don't know if that's a word, but you, you have that more curiosity to like, let's go really check this shit out and let's go kind of get in trouble in a way. You're the, the idea of trouble isn't at least maybe I'm talking for myself, isn't so far out of the realm. Um, but I, I just, I notice it for myself now is thinking, okay, just thinking back to like four years ago when I'd go to whether Stockholm, Copenhagen, what, it, like when I've done a couple of these trips and I think back to it now, I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to do it exactly that way now. You know, the older I get, I have a slightly different way I'd want to do it. And so, but those, those young ways were kind of more fun in a way, but I just don't have like the patience now to go into a hostel and have some bullshit conversations with 20 year old kids that I don't really care about their story. You know, I'm like the becoming the grumpy old man in a way where I don't want to fucking talk to you about whatever, you know, like I've been in that conversation. I've heard it. I don't need to like, I, I have my own way. I want to do it now. So, but I'm, 
I don't want to talk down on that way because I loved it when I was in it. I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, so that quote came from that vagabonding, and that book really um, flipped a switch in my head because when you grow up in America, you are used to that one week in Cancun, all-inclusive, and it costs, you know, two grand. And that's like your idea of traveling. Like you don't realize in Mexico, off two grand, you can live amazing for two months. And um, that is a point that really kind of flipped all my switches is people and me, you know, I thought I needed millions of dollars to go see everything I saw in Italy. And I didn't know what I mean? Like I, I thought I needed $20 million in, in Miami to live the way I did in Florianapolis, doing whatever the fuck I want for $1,500, being with beautiful women, eating anything, drinking whenever I want, being on the beach every day. I had a place on the beach for $18 a night in high season. Like right. these things, like you're not aware of them when you grow up in the American bubble. And um, yeah, it's just, everyone should read that book. It's really good for people that want to travel, but also just like, he puts life in, in a really good perspective and uh, about money and about experience and about adventure. And you need to read it too. That's my second book. Yeah. I was going to say, you've been pretty good with the book recommendations so far, but no, that, that was something I just thought of when you said the one week or two weeks out of the year, if you work the, you know, the normal kind of job where then you vacation, you know, you're, you're working 50 weeks out of the year to enjoy two of them. And I always thought, damn, because I was talking to my boys back home who make some good bread, like have good houses, lives, cars, all that shit. And I was like, damn, these dudes are plotting for that one week out of the year, two weeks out of the year. And I thought to my, and I was living at Lisbon when I kind of had this idea. And I was like, well, shit, I could just live in the place that they want a vacation. I won't. I won't make that much money, but then I could be vacationing 50 weeks out of the year. And then maybe if I go home for a couple of weeks or I go home for a month, grind, you know, and by grind, I mean, like I would deliver pizzas when I would go home, but work as much as I could during those two weeks to stack, you know, you can make shit delivering pizza where I'm from. You can make some good tips. You can make two grand in like two weeks. And so then you, like you just said, that two grand can then last you like two months and three months in, in a exotic place. Or if you supplement it then with income from other places for a while. And, and the crazy so, part is the crazy part is people think that this money, okay, you're going to bum it out in a hostel. Like, okay. An example of this is Playa del Carmen. I stayed in a, a place for $500 a month. And I did it for a month rental. I could have got way cheaper if I did it longer. And it was last second. So $500 a month. It had a pool in the back. It had a rooftop. I had two balconies. I had my own kitchen, a bedroom, beautifully just remodeled for $500, right? For a month. And I could have got it cheaper. My parents came down and visited me. They spent two grand for a week, a place that was on um, the ocean, right? And they had, I think, two bedrooms or whatnot. And it had a pool. And... Uh, I think my place was better. Like I had an eight minute walk to the beach and okay, they were on the beach, but my place was like a colonial vibe. I was next to the coolest restaurants and I looked at it like, yeah, we went out and, you know, had drinks and whatnot. And, but my life was better in the, the sweet place in colonial Hollywood for 500 a month than the week we spent there in the $2,000 thing on the ocean. So it's not like you're bumming. Like people real like in Florianapolis, people are making $500 a month and they're still living, you know, good lives. They still go out to drink. They still have, you know, you know, a, a decent dinner and whatnot. Like people really don't understand the power of the dollar in trying to live similar to a local in that country. And you can still be a king. Like I said, I was a king of $1,500 a month in Florianapolis, Brazil, which is the number one place basically for South American uh, tourists from Argentina, Uruguay, even Brazil. They go here. This is their Miami. And I'm living right. like a king at $1,500. Yeah, the power no, of the it's, dollar. It, it's And it, it boils down to, I think, kind of just finding that balance of money versus time. Because so many people that I know that make a lot of money, it's cool but they don't really have any time to spend it. They have that one day a week to go golfing or, you know, that one week out of the year to spend it. And 
having obviously having money is better than not having money. And then I know some other people, maybe like myself at times, where I have a lot of time and not very much money. But if you're creative, you can kind of always make that work. Um, but it's finding that balance of like having enough money, but then time to spend the money because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen in the next couple of years with or how our country's going. So it's like, I, I'm all about saving to a degree, but let's not, let's not save everything. Cause what if you, you don't want to die with all your riches in your bank account is how I look at it, I guess. This is like a, uh, one of those reels it's kind of like one of those motivation geeky uh uh <laughs> self-help thing but the dude was like you know it's not a flex to wear a rolex um just to check the time to see when you leave your job i mean so you got the rolex on and you're just okay i got two hours to leave my job like that's not cool <laughs> like that's and it's True. like the same thing with a car like like a hundred thousand dollar car first of all like the rolex too you get sick of it after a month and you want something new or want something bigger and, and better. But um, like the car, like a hundred thousand dollar car, I could get you to live like a king for three years, four or five years, maybe off a hundred grand in a third world country. And you won't get robbed and you won't get killed. And you'll be with more better, beautiful women. You'll eat better. Um, your lifestyle will be better off a hundred grand. So instead of, Oh my God, I'm driving this cool car to this nine to five that I hate. I'll give you that, take that money. And we'll make you live like a God somewhere. Like that's like the, it's just trippy thinking. It blew my mind when I started like getting out of that American bubble and realizing like, wow, like, yeah, I was blessed, super blessed to be born here. The amount of opportunity and thank God for my ancestors to make America the number one superpower and the dollar to be the reserve currency. But you take that dollar, bro. And it's just 10 times more powerful other places. I mean, it's the leveraging. It's all about leveraging. Yeah. Once it's tough though, because once, once you get in the rat race and get the hamster wheel spinning, it's it's not easy to hop off of it. And it's it, it takes a lot more effort because the bills, the mortgage, the rent, the everything has to align perfectly. And so I I don't I hope no one hears this and hears us saying it and it's like, well, it's not super easy. It's like I agree, it's not super easy, but nothing is like super easy or what no great. It's the thing initial is. hurdle, like we talked about yeah. at the beginning of this. It's going to yeah, hurt. Nothing. It's going to suck at the beginning. You're going to get fucked. Like, I mean, yeah. I was screwed so many times when I first started traveling. I remember buying like a 20 euro um, uh, cigar ashtray from a Chinese shop in Rome because it, it was like a Rome thing. That thing cost 50 cents. You know what I mean? Like I've been fucked so many times off these different things, but now I'm smart. Now I learned and, and it's amazing. But in, another point to your thing is it is the cognitive dissonance because if people went down that regular route and they're in it for five years and then some little punk is telling them like dude you can live like a king somewhere else for fifteen hundred dollars a month it, it, you don't want to think about that because then you start thinking about everything like wow like was i lied to or did i make the right decision and your world around you starts collapsing similar to um what happened in the last two years and people are realizing yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh wait i can still get this sickness even if i got the shot that i was promised in but then you're like, no, no, I'm just going to keep listening to him. So I'll get the booster. I'll get this because if I don't, then I got to question everything. Like, was I lied to the people I was trusting for two years? Did, did, they, did they BS me? Is this not what it is? And it's easier to just stick in your worldview and stick in that area and not have everything fall down around you. And I always said this too, like if that bubble you're living in, because I live in a bubble, I know I do. But if you're living in a bubble and you are happy and you're not doing uh, destruction to the rest of the world, you can stay in that bubble as long as it's good, as long as you're happy. But if you're not and you're questioning things, this it's good to get that little discomfort from the cognitive dissonance and, and start reevaluating things. No, and and the the last point that you forgot is if you stay in the thing and think, well, am I in it too deep now? That nobody ever wants to do is admit that they were wrong and say, hey, shit, my bad. I was wrong about that one. You know, that that's that's admitting you're wrong has become like the uncoolest thing in the world, like in the our social media climate right now. You know, the guys who are, in my opinion, cool or, or like respectable 
Rogan, for example, even though I don't love Rogan at all, but I respect what he does. They'll admit, hey, I fucked up. I was wrong. You know, and what's funny to me is the the Europeans culture isn't very big. I've noticed on admitting that they're wrong, like everywhere I've lived, there's always like people want an excuse or to like place blame or something else. And I've always felt like it's been an American value to a degree of admitting you're wrong and then moving on, you know, for the most part, up until maybe the last like five years of the cancel culture stuff. But even with it, you can eventually come back. But if you would come out and say, hey, I messed up, I was wrong over some truly bad, like maybe not truly, truly bad stuff like uh, Harvey Weinstein or something like that. But if you, you know, like a Rogan or something, if you say, hey, that was my bad. I fucked up. I shouldn't have done that. I've learned from my lesson and it's genuine. Like people vibe with that and they want that. And you can almost get away with anything. You know, like I said, too, there's a ceiling to that anything. But for the most part, you can come back from anything if you admit you're wrong. And I'm for whatever disagree. reason, that's just that's just became not cool. Oh, so what'd you say? I'm going to disagree big time. And but hold All on, right, I want to make a point. Like you said uh, um, to that thing, it was the sunk cost fallacy. Like me, like I talked about at the beginning by not yeah. getting the thing. Like I get so far in my own hold and it's like, oh, I'm holding out no matter what. Right. And that's similar to what you were just saying. But on the admitting you're wrong thing, uh, as we see with Brogan, as we've seen with so many other people, the second you admit you're wrong, if you're on that level, okay, if you're with a, a personal relationship or something, I think you should say, like, hey, yo, yeah. I messed up here. Like, but when he's on that level, once you admit you're wrong, they got you. They don't care. They're going to keep piling on, piling on. Okay, Rogan, now you're a racist. Now we're going to find every time you said anything remotely stupid and we're going to say, now you need to apologize for this. Oh, you did apologize for this. Okay. Well now you need to rethink any conservative guests you had on. Like you commented on her story about how they said uh, they have all these conservative guests on who aren't conservative, right? They don't stop. So once they got no, you, no, they, yeah, they, they, I, they I want mean, to humiliate you. Yeah, no, I didn't make it clear that is like in the last five years of the cancel culture that does like, I agree. I agree with what you're saying right now. But before the cancel culture thing happened, it was like you could admit you were wrong and, and you could come back from damn near anything. No, but I agree now is I was shocked that no, I, I'm I fully agree. I was I guess I was speaking more in the past because I was surprised that he said and put out that statement because. Like he has the platform that he can address it on the next episode with somebody that he's friends with and get a clip out of that so uh, it's it's a weird time for i've never seen rogan on the rope so much right now you're right you're right the american redemption story like we used to always love a person that would yes. fall down and then they could get back up i agree and it's crazy because rogan knows better he said it on his podcast many times before you can't apologize to these people and he did yes. And this is what Trump did so freaking good. And people may hate this and disagree with it, but Trump never apologized and he survived. Well, I mean, he's still going. So, yeah, he's not in jail. He, you know, he didn't win whatever. And people he says this. Other people say that. But that's what he did. Good. He never backed down. And here's what he did. And here's what a lot of politicians on both sides do. They double down. They say, oh, no, I'm not apologizing. No, it's actually I'm going to say something two times is worse or, or double down on it. But this is like human psychology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's crazy because that's what works. And that's what people that if you if you apologize to these people, you're done. You're over. It's game over. It's on to the next thing. The next thing they got you. They want to humiliate you. There's no there's no even ground. If you don't think exactly like someone else, it's over. Yeah. And even even Rogan, like the first thing he said it with like the Joni Mitchell, Neil Young stuff, like it's pretty obvious right now that there's a concerted effort to like get this guy out of the spotlight. And I said on my podcast, like, I don't know, last month or so is I will not be surprised at all if Rogan accidentally gets shot in a hunting accident within the next five years, because like he's disrupting 
the the main narrative right now big time but even with the neil young and joni mitchell or whatever her name is thing is he didn't even technically say like i'm sorry for spreading this stuff he was like i'm sorry that people feel this way but again the way it got spun was because sorry was in the sentence is it was an apology for spreading misinformation and all that kind of stuff and so even if you if you put out a statement that isn't technically an apology they can they can clip it up so that it is and then like you said once you apologize good luck okay so i saw that one video when it first happened and that one seemed pretty good and chill and like you said he said i feel if you felt that way but didn't he just recently come out like bending over about the um, racism stuff? Is that what happened? Kind, yeah. I mean, it, okay. it's for Rogan. It's completely bending over. It's, okay. um, you know, he he says something along the lines. I didn't even know it happened, and I just he posted it on Instagram or something, and says, you know, this video is surfaced with me saying the N word a bunch of times, and it sounds just terrible. And he's like, I'm not excusing it. You know, he he owns up to it. I don't know if he technically apologizes, but he owns up to it and says, like, I was wrong. I guess I don't know if I was wrong and I'm sorry or the same thing, you know, but he he definitely says I was wrong for it and like goes into explaining, you know, kind of the context, which gets completely left out of the videos. And I Rogan has said himself he's not a very smart individual. And the fact that he has like, I think that compilation has like 50 times of saying the N-word on air, that would for sure make me agree with him that he's not very smart. Because no matter what context you're saying it in, you know, (laughs) saying it 50 times on air, knowing what he knows and knowing people use shit against you eventually, even though a lot of them were like 10 years ago, is not very smart. And so, um, I'm just, here's the thing though. This is, this is one of their number one tools, the race car thing. And, sure. uh, he has all these comedians that are black that respect him from day one. I think he probably said that on air with a couple of them or whatnot, but these people act like they even care about black people. You think liberals and oh. these cancel culture do, they don't live in their neighborhoods. They gentrify. They, I mean, it's just a total, it's a tool. It's always been this tool to throw it out. These white liberals and whatnot, like, you're a racist. That means anything you say, it doesn't have any credibility and you need to be shut out of society. That's the second most, or that's like the, the, the first one they go to, but the killer, the all time killer shot that they use. And there's a lot of conspiracies behind this is the pedophile stuff. Cause society will not accept any of that. Like there's obviously people that are racist. They're like, Oh yeah, I don't care if Rogan said that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the pedophile thing, everyone is in agreement that like, that's just wrong, right? Because so you have children, you have a sister, you have a family and whatnot. And here's the conspiracy. And I'm 47 minutes in, so I won't be, you know, uh, uh, Epstein when I say this. But the conspiracy is this. The people in the, the higher ups, like we saw with Epstein, he had the freaking island. They all flew there. They all did the stuff. There's uh, the Franklin cover up. Um, there's so many different um, pedophile stuff uh, is that to get into those high societies, they make you do stuff like this because then if you try to go against the grain or get outside the box, they let it out because the public will automatically kill you for it because that is the number one thing you, you just don't do. Right. And um, yeah, that was a, a sidetrack, but that's a hundred percent. Dude, I was talking about Epstein literally in like 2011 on 4chan. They're like, this is a total global conspiracy. This is totally happening. Like, there's a literal island that looks satanic that they're having these young people out there. Prince Andrew, that photo of Prince Andrew, I saw that so long ago, right? And yeah. uh, I can't believe they did a documentary on uh, Netflix, actually. They did the Epstein documentary. They left out, like, many parts and more framed it as, like, how they wanted to frame it. But, dude, if anyone wants to go down a rabbit hole, rabbit hole it is so fucked up. But I 100% like Pizzagate. Remember Pizzagate? <laughs> yeah. Here's what's funny about Pizzagate, bro. They literally did amazing job at deflecting and making it like a psyop. And oh my God, you're crazy if you think people are raping people and they're doing it in a pizza hut or pizza parlor, right? Like they literally took this huge conspiracy. This is what Pizzagate was about. 
was about this pedophile ring about control, et cetera, whatnot. And they put it down to, oh, these people are talking about how there's this torture room in a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. They're crazy. Don't listen to anything they have to say. When Pizzagate wasn't about that, that was a minor yeah. thing that that they looking at this guy's Instagram. They're looking at like uh, who goes here and why they're going here and all these kids and whatnot. But it was a big picture thing about this Epstein Island, about uh, yeah, Hollywood. Like how words they are. being used in emails and stuff like that. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. And they totally made people look like they were crazy because they, they were saying it was just in this pizza parlor. It's fucked up. It's crazy. No, man, I, I didn't expect us to go this way. But one other thing on that is, which is recent, even though the public will then like kind of ultimately condemn you for that stuff and rightfully so, when it happens to people in positions of power it normally gets completely swept under the rug and it's one of those things whether it be the pizzagate thing whether it be the maxwell trial that just ended i mean they had the rittenhouse trial was 24 7 live video feed every day all day that's all they talked about and it's an important case yeah sure i would i would argue that a a child worldwide sex trafficking ring is a higher profile case than the Rittenhouse case. And what would you get from that, from the Maxwell case? You'd get one hand-drawn picture a day from that shit. And so then the verdict comes, I think the verdict, I don't even know if the verdict, I think it came out. You don't know anything. You haven't, you know, there's nothing that's been talked about it. News never talked about it while it was going on. And, you know, I... I personally like, I guess this is my own conspiracy, is I think the the penalties for uh, pedophilia and rape and molestation and all that sh stuff should be much higher than they are nowadays. Like, I think they should be like damn near the same as like murder because you're ultimately in a lot of cases really screwing somebody's life up for the long run when you do that, especially at a young age. And the whole thing of like repeat offenders and if it you it happened to you when you were young, you're more likely to do it when you're older and just perpetuates the cycle. But I think a big reason why it's not such a like highly penalized thing is because a lot of the people in the power powerful positions don't want it to be because if then they do get caught doing it, like they're well, we we can get out of it relatively easy and that's, I guess, conspiratorial, but that's how I think. Yeah, and your point about how it did get swept under the rug, but also the public. I mean, any normal society, you would think, would be up in arms protesting that all these politicians, all these people got caught up in the, in this ring, and we didn't. It's, no one cares. Me and you don't even know the, the verdict news, anymore. And it, the news didn't talk about it, bro. They, they didn't get the programming to get mad about it. It's the same reason, like, I tweeted this other day that – why would I care about this John Hopkins uh, uh, study that said lockdowns really didn't help and they probably overall hurt, you know, society when I could be mad at a, what a comedian said 10 years ago? You know, like that's I would much rather be mad at a comedian 10 years ago than than something that's recently came out from John Hopkins that proved the last two years have been kind of BS. You know, like it's they just weren't BS. They did exactly mind. what it was meant to do: transfer a crap ton of wealth to the elite. But and here's why: like I don't even like talking about this stuff because when I I try to like in my personal life, I used to talk about this stuff all the stuff all the time, have conversations. Mm -hmm. But as we see with the public, nobody gives a fuck. They don't. Yeah. And it, 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 it's it's really sad. But if that's the way it is, going with the how I found freedom thing, it's like okay, how is this really affecting me? Like, should I go jump on a, a, a soapbox in the middle of Bilestock and say, look, here's the facts. Like, our, our rules yeah. run by, you know, these pedos and whatnot. Or even talking it out here, it's just because we're having a conversation. We're, you know, 40, we were 47 minutes in when I started blurting about this. But it really, it just doesn't matter, sadly. And it, it's, it almost, it hurts me even talking about this because, like, you know, just think if this blows up. I'm, I'm Rogan. Like, what it, or Massad gets a hold of this, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So, um, anyways, but, but it is, I, it is my bro, I don't, I mean, I, I, I agree with you to a certain point, but then, you know, because on my podcast every week, I normally talk about some, some crazy, some COVID craziness type of stuff and some hypocritical things and 
whatever it may be. And I thought to myself for a while, exactly what you thought. There's a lot of people that feel how we feel, but just don't want to necessarily say it. And there's something I think therapeutic or carthritic about carthritic. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, cathartic about having someone else say it. And so uh, while I agree, like, damn, there isn't really a point to it because again, it's not going to, I'm not going to let it affect me. You know, if it does, I'll figure out the new, the new loophole or I'll, I'll get around it some other way, but there's going to be maybe at least just one person that hears what we just said right there. And it's like, okay, damn, I'm not crazy. You know, it validates themselves and maybe big picture. We don't do shit, but it, it could help just that one person. And so, you know, it's, it's tough to say, I agree with you. And I also think, uh, well, fuck, if we want to talk about it, let's talk about it. <laughs> I, I hope what people get from that is the big picture thinking like, okay, what else am I being lied to? Um, what, what should I focus on? Like just getting them to think a little different from conversations like that. But, um, the problem is, is if it comes back on us, and was it worth it then? Like, so people got to support. I'm going to put the Patreon here soon. I'm going to make one of those. So if you want me to keep talking about this kind of stuff, then donate to that so I can be you know, safe. But <laughs> as we've seen. Same thing. Trying whatever it may be. And I'm giving you, uh, obviously, an extreme example. But you know what I'm saying. And that's another area of the book where I talk about positive choices that we make where we're choosing between two alternatives, each of which we think of as good, and we're just trying to decide which would be the better of the two or negative choices where we see that the two choices or more are all bad and we're trying to figure out which would be the least bad and too often people are making in small ways and in large ways in life negative choices where they are trying to minimize the bad rather than trying to determine which would be the very best thing which would enhance my life the most and I believe that there is a great deal, as I said at the outset, that each of us can do in his own life to make things better. But one of the traps we want to stay out of, which I did not identify uh, so precisely in the book, is what we might just call the perfection trap. And that is the belief that this should all work out perfectly, that you should be able to, to do everything right and everything perfectly. I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made in my life. I mean, how many stupid things that I have done in my life, things that I look back on that I'm actually ashamed of and that I hope nobody ever found out about. Um, uh, how many times that I set out to do something and didn't succeed, how many things of that sort have happened? And yet here I am at 68 years old, I have been blessed with what I think is the most wonderful life possible. I've been able to live in three countries. I've had books on the bestseller list. I was given the honor of running for president twice. I am married to the most wonderful woman in the world. And all this in spite of all those mistakes, because more than anything else, it's an attitude. It is a determination that you are not going to be unfree if you don't have to be. And I wrote the book and titled it, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, precisely because, first of all, I wanted anybody to understand that I was not talking about changing the world. I was talking about the world that we're living in right now, not that utopia in the future that we're hoping to build someday, but the unfree world we live in now. And rather than saying how you can be free in an unfree world, I said in a way that would ordinarily offend my own sense of modesty, how I found freedom in, un in an unfree world because I wanted people to know that this had already been done by one person at least, so we were not talking about blue sky. But the point is that despite all these mistakes, despite these things that I'm even ashamed of, I have been able to live this blessed life. And I, and I realized just a few weeks ago that when I die, I want my wife uh, to, to put on my tombstone. <laughs> um, I did not do everything that I wanted to accomplish. I did not become everything that I wanted to be. 
But because I reached for the stars, I still was able to reach the top of the world. And that's what I'm hoping you will do, that you will not let people tell you you can't do it, but you will reach for the stars, and that you will discover, seek out, identify, and act on that person that is you, who is not Harry Brown, or Bill Clinton, or anybody else, or even the person you admire most in the world. That person is you, and you are unlike anyone else in the world. And it is your life, not that person's life. So you have to make the decisions. But if you do make the decisions, you are going to be able to live in a much freer way. And that's what I want for you. I want you to have the very best. I want you to be able to live free in an unfree world.